Welcome back to another episode of the Hatchet's weekly news podcast, Getting to the Bottom of It. I'm your host, Alec Rich. This intro is being recorded on Saturday, November 7th. As I'm sure most listeners know by now, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were declared the president-elect and vice president-elect respectively this morning in historic fashion. With Biden declared the winner, people all around the country blared their car horns and cheered in the streets, and nowhere was that more prominent than in D.C. In the same spots where you heard those earlier interviews, thousands of people flooded the streets in celebration in front of the White House today, including many GW students living in D.C. this semester. For additional coverage and photos of the events from Saturday, you can go to the Hatchets website and social media channels. But on this episode, we're going to focus on the Hatchets coverage of Election Day itself on November 3rd. For all the days of waiting for vote counts afterwards, there was a great amount of uncertainty on Election Day in D.C., and the Hatchets reporters in the area worked all day to follow the action. Keep in mind that the following interviews were conducted on Friday before we knew the results of the election. As I looked to see what people's reactions were and how election night played out, I first interviewed Leah DeGroote, who is the Hatchets news editor for Health and Sciences. Leah, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. So first, just take us through Tuesday night. Where did you go and what did you see? First, um, I started the night around 7.30 p.m., um, and I stopped by McPherson Square, where there was a little bit of activity going on. Um, Some people had set up a really big um, inflatable Trump chicken, Um, so that was really fun to see. Uh, There was also, people had set up a big uh, jumbotron, a big screen where people were watching election results roll in on on CNN. Um, And then there was also a truck where people were performing go-go music. So there's a group of people um, who are gathered just to kind of dance and celebrate a little bit. Um, So it was, the vibe was very much um, more chill, very happy. Um, It wasn't, there wasn't too many protests going on at that point in the night. So, and then... Um, later in the night, uh, a protest started to form, um, at Thomas Circle. Um, so me and the other reporters who were covering, um, we went, went, went over to Thomas Circle, um, and throughout the night they marched, um, through, they marched all the way to DuPont Circle. Um, and so we followed them for a little bit. There were about a thousand protesters we estimated. Um, and, uh, that kind of closed out our night. And how late were you out there? Um, we were out there until about midnight is when we called it a night. Um, and after that, uh, there were some smaller protests, people kind of dispersed, um, but there wasn't, um, kind of a large group of people protesting anymore. And was there kind of a game plan amongst the Hatch reporters who were out there throughout the day in terms of where you were going and where people were stationed? Yeah. So, um, myself and some of the other reporters, I got there around 730. Um, I met up with Parth Kotak, our managing editor, um, and we uh, just kind of played it by ear. We mostly stuck together. Um, I know Parth took a little bit of a detour just to see if there was anything going on at the Capitol. Um, there wasn't, super silent, um, nothing going on at Trump Tower either, which was kind of a surprise. I was expecting maybe some people to be um, kind of congregated outside Trump Tower. Um, but other than that, we mostly mostly stuck together. Um, Zach Schoenfeld, our administration editor, um, joined us around 10 p.m. Um, and he helped us cover the, the protest. And were there any sites in particular that stood out to you throughout the night? Um, yeah, so the protesters uh, that we were following, they actually had a group of bikers um, who were kind of 
at the front of the uh, at the front of the protest. Um, and the point, I think the point of the bikers was just to make sure that there weren't any reporters and yet any people trying to get in the way of the protest. Um, I also noticed a few people who had some black umbrellas, um, that they had kind of stuck out. Um, and I guess the idea was to try to try and get the media away from the, from the protest to kind of, uh, keep from impeding on their, on their protest. And we know that the protests were predominantly peaceful. Uh, what were some of the protesters there to actually protest against? Yeah, so the protests that we followed, um, a lot of the chants were like, all cops are bastards, um, no justice, no peace. So they were really protesting against um, police officers. Um, We noticed there were a couple of encounters with police uh, that we noticed. I wasn't close enough to kind of get the details of all of those um, incidents. But for the most part, uh, there weren't any, there weren't too many clashes with the police. And were you surprised that it remained peaceful, you know, given the uncertainty around the night leading up to it? And we'd seen GW even issued a couple of warnings and emails to students ahead of time as well, with a lot of buildings being boarded up around D.C. Yeah, um, it was a little bit of a surprise to me. I, I, it was less eventful than I thought it was going to be. Um, I think I was kind of prepared for... Um, I was prepared for the worst, I think, just kind of going in as a journalist. Um, but yeah, it, it was pretty calm. Some of the people that I spoke to um, actually said they were also surprised by how uh, by how calm things were. Um, one of the women who I spoke to, she said she wasn't expecting results to come in um, that night, uh, which is part of the reason why I think things remained calm is just because people weren't, weren't going to know who the president was um, at the end of the night. Mm. Let's get a little bit further into that, just in terms of what you learned from those that you spoke to. And you, know, you mentioned that you know, there was a feeling of excitement, but was there also kind of a sense of anxiety as well around these uncertain results? Yeah. So I actually spoke with one woman who um, was a member of the Democratic Socialists of America, the D.C. chapter. Um, and what she said was she so she was there with her group. They were creating signs. Um, their point was that they just wanted all of the votes to be counted. They wanted to make sure that um, every person had the opportunity to vote kind of in contrast to uh, some of the things that President Trump has said about not uh, maybe not wanting all people to have uh, the ability to vote. Um, and so they had come, they were creating artwork that said, you know, like count every vote, um, demand democracy. Their point was really to get, make sure that people had their, you know, right to vote protected. Um, and so what she, what she told me was that she was hoping that Biden would win, um, but she she wasn't so much anxious, but she just really wasn't expecting a result that night. So, And you also mentioned this earlier, but did you go a little bit further into just your mindset heading into the night um, that had some uncertainty around it? Yeah, so going in, I was definitely uh, I was definitely glad to be there with two other reporters. I don't think I would have uh, felt super comfortable going in all by myself. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, I, I was a little bit worried about kind of where things would go if they did call um, call an election, uh, just because especially over the summer um, with all of the Black Lives Matter protests, you know, like those those did turn violent um, and we did see that that could happen. And I think just kind of seeing recently how recent um, there had been violent protests, I was a little bit a little bit nervous going into it. Um, but definitely after I got there and kind of how I, I saw that there, you know, probably wasn't going to be, the election probably wasn't going to be called that night. Um, who were mainly peaceful, um, mainly just there to kind of see what was going on. I definitely felt a lot, a lot better after I, after I got there. Leah, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you so much, Alec. The Hatchet also had a great photo team on the ground last Tuesday night, which is why I next spoke with the Hatchet's senior photo editor, Lillian Bautista, to learn more about that effort. All right, Lillian, thanks so much for joining me. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. So first, just take us through what you saw on Tuesday. What were your general impressions of the night as a whole, and where were you stationed in D.C.? So on Tuesday, we actually had a lot of photographers go out early in the day to get coverage of voting booths or poll areas and candidates trying to rally voters. So I actually had to stay in because I have other obligations, but most of the photographer team were out and about near Chinatown, near Stead Park, near DuPont Circle, and the White House, as well as the Capitol and Supreme Court. And we saw the most activity, of course, near the polls and near areas where candidates were trying to get out the vote. Later on into the night, everybody kind of congregated near the White House and Black Lives Matter Plaza, which runs directly into the White House. This was most likely because the White House has actually been shut down. Um, there's a lot of fencing, nobody can really get in. So people decided to just stay right outside of it. And there's a lot of protesters, there's a lot of counter-protesters and news media covering the area. So there was, a, there was a lot of energy, I would say. And then right next to it, McPherson Square, there was a little watch party and a go-go truck. So that was fun. With Zach or something. Yeah. Um, were there any moments in particular that stood out to you as you were walking around? I think there was about the level of excitement that I expected from people. There was a lot of people who normally protest that were out there. And there was a lot of dancing and music, so that was interesting. But definitely the watch party in McPherson Square. You had a lot of people intently looking at that projector. A lot of people very visibly anxious about what was happening. And maybe a little bit difficult to watch that because in my mind I knew that the vote wouldn't be counted uh, completely by Tuesday. So I, I saw those people like very, very nervous about what was happening and I just thought, yeah, it's, this is going to go on for a couple of days. I think it was most interesting to see all of them. A lot of people very much care about what's happening. Of course, this is D.C., so everybody cares about politics. But it was, it was great to see their reactions in real time. I was also curious to know your mindset as a journalist going into this, because obviously there's a lot of uncertainty around the results of the night going in, and there were definitely warnings about safety as well, which we got from GW days ahead of time. So what was your mindset going in? Before we had everybody go out, we definitely had a safety briefing. Um, we had a safety briefing two nights before in anticipation of covering this. We were told that, you know, from GW's email to stock up on supplies. We've seen the boarding up of a lot of DC restaurants and stores. I didn't particularly believe that there would be violence for the sake of violence. I was more worried about rumors that Proud Boys were coming to DC you know, the white supremacist groups are known to be violent, so I was worried about that. I was worried about some of the organized protest groups clashing with Metro PD, because that tends to produce violence. And when we were out there, I think we were very fortunate that there wasn't really much of anything happening like that. Nothing that was felt early on before the election. Nothing that was anticipated in that sense. But we definitely told photographers to only go if they feel comfortable doing so, and that by no means are we asking them to stay there if they feel like things are getting dangerous. Some of our photographers are very geared up. They have bulletproof vests, they have helmets, they have goggles. You know, not everybody was like that. I personally don't have that gear. And I think that's just from people's experience covering other types of protests in the past. But we're very lucky that it didn't turn that violent. We certainly thought it might and we, we prepared for that by talking about safety measures 
in talking about all the hatchet photographers, and obviously you said that there was a game plan going in, where were some of these different photographers dispersed around the city and what were some of the photos that they took that stood out to you? Again, we told them the hotspots that we wanted to see people at. We didn't force anybody to stay in one place during any point of the day on November 3rd, just because we know photographers like to be roving, they like to go where the action is. So we definitely wanted coverage at the White House, the Capitol, Supreme Court, at some, some of the polls, and if they could find where candidates were congregating, local DC candidates. And we ended up getting all of those places covered when need be. Um, communication was key for that. We definitely had a type of messaging system to make sure that either a photographer had a buddy the whole time, or we knew where everybody else was. That way we had all the coverage we needed. And lastly, I want to mention a great photo that you took of someone painting a count every vote onto a red banner. And obviously that's a sentiment that's just been echoed and combated over the last couple of days since Tuesday. Uh, why did that catch your eye in particular? I think, to be quite honest, uh, photo composition is important. So when I saw the green and the reds and the light was shining well or shining very nicely on the subject, I thought it would make a good photo. As she was painting it, I couldn't tell what it said until later, but it was impactful. Obviously, they're making signs to, to spread a message, and toward the end, when we all saw what was painted on it, it, it was a, a message that continued to ring true throughout the night because nobody was really sure if the vote, vote tallies would be completed. Um, by the end of November 3rd, and they weren't. So Count Every Vote became more of a significant message as the night went on. And the photo ended up looking good for composition's sake and for colors and for lighting. So I was keeping an eye out for that at first, and it turned into a better photo. And you also mentioned earlier about trying to catch people's faces and, and the emotion on them. You know, how do you reconcile with the fact that you know, a lot of people were wearing masks in, in this area and that's something that you have to kind of get around. I think maybe the most important part of the faces are the eyes, so kind of lucky. The masks don't completely obscure all the emotion in one's face, and you can still see a lot through the eyes. If anything, it's more of a challenge as a photographer to try to get that to capture that emotion when somebody's half their face is covered. I think I was, I was still grateful, though, that there, I saw more of that because I'd rather somebody wear a mask than not in terms of safety. Another thing we had to keep in mind for the photographers is like COVID precautions. But it forces you to get a little bit closer maybe than you normally would and to be a little bit more creative with the angles you choose to shoot at. Lillian, thanks so much. All right, thanks, Alec. Special thanks to Madeline Lobaca and Christopher Richardson for their contributions to the interviews at the beginning of this episode. Getting to the Bottom of It is hosted by Alec Rich and is produced by Gwen Wheeler.